Mo to the E to the Mo to the E to the Okay. Um everyone this is alex and this is M. welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is the podcast for tv lovers movie buffs and binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we loved what we hated and what's just a bit problematic about the tv and movies that we're addicted to and do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join us at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the first three seasons of the iconic UPN hit series, Moesha. This series followed the title character, an upper-middle-class Black girl, as she navigates friendships, relationships, and family while in the midst of near-constant conflict with her strict old-school father. Moesha was unique and groundbreaking in mirrored ways. So what do we think made this series so special? Stay tuned. everyone here are some critical details about Moesha. The series is a sitcom created by Ralph Farquhar, Sarah V. Finney, and Vita Spears. It was released from January 23rd, 1996 until May 14th, 2001 on the UPN network for six seasons and a total of 127 episodes. The series stars Brandy Norwood as Moesha, Denise Mitchell, our protagonist, William Allen Young as Franklin Mitchell, a.k.a. Frank, Moesha's father, Cheryl Lee Ralph as Deirdre Mitchell, a.k.a. D, Moesha's stepmother, Countess Vaughn as Kimberly Ann Parker, a.k.a. Kim, Lamont Bentley as Hakeem Campbell, Shar Jackson as Denise Jackson, a.k.a. Nisi, and Kim, Hakeem, and Nisi are Moesha's best friends. Fredro Starr as Quentin Brooks, a.k.a. Q, Moesha's primary love interest. Marcus T. Polk as Miles Mitchell, Moesha's younger brother. Yvette Wilson as Andalusha Louise Wilkerson, a.k.a. Andel, who is the owner of The Den. William Ray Norwood Jr., a.k.a. Ray J, as Dorian Long, Moesha and Miles' cousin, a.k.a. half-brother. So... (laughs) <laughs> maybe both that's never clarified really um right yeah. but <laughs> these are our major players for the six seasons of moesha so let's get into it season one our shortest season was 14 episodes long let's talk about it right moesha my gosh what i know we talk about like iconic iconic but like this really is I mean, a lightning bolt, a a cultural reset um, of a show. I mean, it's a show that is still cited today by, I think, all your probably favorite Black creatives um, as something that was just, as a show 
that was so formative for them growing up. And I mean, specifically, I think young black girls, you know, I, I know Gen Z is like in Gen Alpha, they're, they're over us a lot talking about the nineties, but I feel like the greatness of the nineties and is a lot of that millennial nostalgia. Sure. But I also think the greatness of the nineties in terms of like, at least black girls cannot be denied. <laughs> it cannot be talked about, I think, enough, in my opinion. And and Moesha is one of those hallmarks. Um, Moesha, I, so Brandy Norwood was like a, a force, like the power um, starting. And I think she, she had already had albums out because I think Never Say Never comes out, I think, which will be her most... I think mainstream, uh, like, I guess the most mainstream recognized album will come mm-hmm. out around, will come out during Moesha while she's filming the show. But Brandy Norwood was like a force. And um, it's interesting. Moesha got greenlit off of the power of Brandy and nothing else. Uh, this is, a, this is um, the, the creators have talked about this in, uh, there's an MTV Driven episode, if anybody even remembers MTV's Driven <laughs> about this. But um, it was, but basically the guy, uh, the creator, um, went to UPN, which by the way, UPN, another, we'll talk about more about UPN and what a watershed that network was when we talk about one-on-one. Justice for the United Paramount Network. <laughs> Justice. Um, we'll talk about UPN and, and what a watershed that network was a bit more when we talk about one-on-one. Two things I want to say before we get into the season. I forgot to mention that Moesha has a spinoff, The Parkers, which we will be discussing later. Moesha had acted prior to this on television. She was the eldest daughter on the show, which was about a single mom raising her four kids alone. Um, but she was not a household name then. But Brandy, like you said, was a, had become a huge pop star between Thea and Moesha, and right. she was she kind of had that that she was being branded as basically the black girl next door. So what better thing to do than give us a show about the black girl next door? <laughs> right, and it's so interesting that you bring up Thea because part of the famous story about how Moesha even got on air was that they greenlit her just the idea. Right, there was no script; it was just like hey, Brandy should be on a show. And the network was like, that's great. We love it. Turn it in. When she did the original pilot test, she's terrible. She's horrific. And they're like, and everybody, like Seraphini, everybody is like really worried because they ha- now have to turn in this pilot. Um, granted, they had the 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 order, the show was going to go up, but like everyone's super worried about her acting because she's really bad. And so as the story goes, Kim Fields, um, Kim Fields, who is of living single fame and is a wonderful director in her own right, took Brandy aside essentially for like a whole year before they started shooting and like really worked with her so that she could be able to do Moesha and have it and have and be great and give us the show that we have. Kim Fields is a real one. She doesn't get enough shine, honestly. Now, she, Kim Fields, before she was on Living Single, was already a household name from The Facts of Life. Shout out to those who remember The Facts of Life. <laughs> um, but um, she was really out here saving lives and saving careers. Good on you, <laughs> sis. Good on, yeah, good on you. So, but Moesha is definitely like... Um, 
also something that's great about Moesha is like we, you know, we talk a lot about teen television, and I'm definitely a lover of teen television. Um, Moesha's like a true blue, like teen show. Like it's a true, like it has all the hallmarks of like a coming of age, like teen show centered around a black girl, which even I mean, which before and after it is virtually impossible to find. Right, right. Um, you know, we've talked about this, especially when we, we did our sister sister episodes. The nineties was also that golden the last golden era where black families behaved in a culturally black way on screen. They didn't talk about, oh, we're black and we're proud all day, but they behaved in ways that were relatable to a black audience. It wasn't just like colorblind casting. Like we wrote this script and the people just happened to be, the people we cast just happened to be black. (laughs) It wasn't like that. So we did get all of those trappings of your average teen girl drama, but it was black and not just in black face. A lot of the behaviors exhibited by Moesha's parents reinforce that we are watching a black family right um and i mean yeah and then to have like a a a teen black girl be sort of at the center of all the action is i mean girl it doesn't versus just like the family Mm -hmm. like moesha is sort of the driving force of the show i mean i don't it doesn't exist. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> We've never seen it. We've never... Honestly, every other sitcom at the time where there was a family unit was a family show. Now, let's talk about season one really quick. Season one, we meet the principal cast, everyone except Q, who doesn't come out onto the show until season two. But we meet Moesha, her parents, her brother, and her best friends. And we learn about their relationships with each other, with Moesha, how everything works. Um, it's a good season. There are a lot of... there There I won't say there's a lot of runoffs. I do feel like even the episodes are loosely related to each other. Right. right. Same. Um, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, we kick off the, the pilot even kicks off with Moesha adjusting to this new dynamic in her home because D is her, her new stepmother because her mother has passed. Right. Moesha's mother has passed. The show says two or three years ago, maybe earlier. Because she's 15 at the opening, and her mother died, I believe, when she was 12. But some years have have passed. Obviously, that's her mom. She's never going to be over it. And her dad's not only remarrying this woman, this woman, D is the principal at her school. Right. So um, there's a lot of tension in Moesha and Dee's relationship. When the series opens, she's still only 15 years old. And um, we learn in that pilot that, and again... You know how I feel about pilots, guys. You have to start the way you want to finish. And the show does that. We learn immediately that um, her relationship with her father is going to be the backbone and major source of tension throughout the series. Frank doesn't allow Moesha to date. She's she's banned from dating until she turns 16. But it becomes clear in the opening that she is dating somebody. This poet at the den named Ohaji. Right. Um, played by uh, the the guy who also plays Romeo on the Steve Harvey show who's he's he's passed now so yeah there's so this first season you know like I said there's a lot of conventions of a teen show on on Moesha but there's you know it's also we also have the all of your typical sitcom conventions well as well in that um you know it's lots of it's situational there's uh it's a lot of comedy 
But something that jumps out, uh, I think also in this first season, is that they just like, they go there in terms of, I think, unlike Sister Sister, although the girls were teens, I think a lot of the situational stuff they kept very young and there was just like a lots of hijinks and the lack of seriousness. Moesha has hijinks too, but like it goes there in that first season. I mean, we have like an interracial dating episode with like Andrew Keegan. That's like super serious. And then Andrew um, Keegan was it, you guys, your white faves could never. (laughs) Uh, We have like a sexism episode. They're going in the, the show is not, you know, even though they're there and they're listen, Moesha is a, is a goofy person. There are lots of fun things, but the show is definitely here to like speak to um, serious issues and, and, um, and teen stuff. Yeah, I will say, um, I, I, I think we did a disservice to, sis, to sister, sister, because that was another one that was led by the teen girls. Um, but I think the difference is that there were two of them. And like right. you said, that show was so fueled by hijinks, hijinks, especially in the first couple of seasons, were like the backbone of Sister Sister. They're not the backbone of Moesha. The family and Moesha's thirst for independence and autonomy, that is a driving force of the series from start to finish. I, I agree with that fully. This season was great. We learned a lot of things. We learned how strict Frank is. And he's actually least strict in this first season. It gets worse in season two. Um, I believe the demands he puts on her this first season, while I feel like he wants a lot from her academically, he isn't super strict or domineering in other areas of her life until she starts dating, which is ironic. Um, he says you can date at 16. And then when she turns 16 and starts dating, that's when he becomes like dad from hell. But I mean, but Frank is toxic from this first season. I mean, it's there. There, this, um, the quote, the kind of quote unquote, like sexism episode, there is like a part in it where Miles, which is Moesha's younger brother, um, he basically, it's in the dialogue and it's in the, the action, but he basically, uh, says that like Miles will be gay if like Miles learns how to do his own laundry. Cause like D's tired of doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, t- Frank is, like, the actual worst type of person. And, like, we immediately sort of see Frank's controlling behavior from Jump in season one. Right. I honestly think more than Frank's misogyny, what worries me is how controlling of a person he is. He wants to assert control over his children and over his wife. And while Dee is someone who is at first touted as this very strong-minded, independent woman... She's not. Because if she was this woman, she wouldn't be with Frank. She wouldn't be with a man that says, do my laundry, woman. My son doesn't touch dirty clothes. I don't want him to be gay. Yeah, like, I mean, it's not like, yeah. I mean, it's it's not as blunt as that, but the implication is that, essentially. That, like... A I mean, man doing his own laundry means that, like, he, like, he's gay or, like, he's queer. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like... Right. Frank is never going to use the exact terms that I use. He is an educated man, after all. I use educated loosely. But the result is the same, right? Like, right. he's an overeducated misogynist. There's no other way around it. <laughs> um, but... Um, when he makes comments like that and other such remarks throughout the series, I can't help but wonder if he didn't just get remarried 
so that he could have another someone else in the house to to perform mother duties for his children. I mean, basically, and it's it's interesting because in this also in this first season, there is this implication that Moesha's sort of feeling confused about her her place, I guess, because um when her mother died, she stepped up and was basically filling in for her mother. Mm-hmm. in all of those sort of, you know, potentially toxic and traditional ways. Like, she was doing every... She was doing all the laundry for everybody. She was cooking all the meals. She was making sure Miles did his homework and got off to school and, and made his lunch. And, and and she made her father's lunch. And, and I think in that pilot episode, she's sort of, like, having trouble letting go of those things Mm -hmm. that she's sort of used to doing and I don't know now where I was going with that but like basically Moesha's been not living a hard life but living a strange life I think I guess the fact of the matter is the misogyny in this bothers me but not it doesn't bother me nearly as much as how common it is in real life where we will have we will rob little girls of their childhood and have them being surrogate mothers um, because grown men don't want to do quote-unquote women's work. But at the same time, police them like children and police what they do with their bodies. Like, let's be clear, Frank Mitchell is no Floyd Henderson. He's not going to step up and take on the role of both parents. He's going to be like, oh, my wife died. I'm not cooking. I'm not going to learn how to cook. I'm not going to learn how to do laundry. Thank goodness I have a daughter. What would have happened if it was just him and Miles? Would he have let them starve? Me might have. Frank is, like, probably definitely that father who, like, um, he's that's part of somebody's villain origin story. Right. What if what would happen if Moesha had been the baby? He's going to wait for her to come of age so that she can, like, you know, reach the stovetop? Basically. Like, what happens in that scenario? Isn't it amazing how misogynist men always get into these convenient situations? I have a daughter who's old enough to cook. Oh, look, I got me this pretty woman who's willing to marry me. <laughs> Basically. Super convenient. Super convenient. Super convenient. But, and I understand Moesha's feelings because you can't just turn that shit off. She had to step up and be the head of the, be the woman of the house, essentially. And now there's a woman of the house. And this woman, so this woman is not only um, essentially taking her mother's place, but her place as well. Like, how are you not going to feel weird about that? Um, I feel, not so much on Dee's part, but I feel like Frank was super dismissive of this. He is. Like, Frank, I mean, he is super dismissive. He he sort of just wants her to immediately, he's, I think, annoyed that Moesha is still struggling and he just wants her to to feel whatever they, to, to just not feel and I think we see this in one of um, in an episode called Mother's Day uh, that's in this first season. First season ends with um, Hakeem. Hakeem, by the way, very interesting character. So one of the sitcom can sing. One of I think the biggest like sitcom conventions is like you'll have like a neighbor or like some random person um, always just interacting with his family or like he's always there. A uh, smart guy. It was. Um, Mo, right? And then mm-hmm. on Sister Sister, it's Roger. He, just this other character that's always hanging around. Um, 
on Moesha, it's Hakeem, but I, but it's utilized in a really, Hakeem is utilized in his consistency of being in the Mitchells' home is utilized in a really interesting way because essentially what happens is that he's, um, he's always at, uh, the, the Mitchell's home because like he's food insecure. So we essentially through this sort of sitcom convention, we also get this, uh, messaging that Hakeem is, is poor. Um, and his family is working poor. Uh, and, and that'll be important in, in, and an interesting plotline that that uh, is a third line throughout the whole series. Right, right, right. Um, and again, this is something that I only see on black sitcoms. Oh, your friend is 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 staying for dinner. Is here? Okay, they can stay for dinner. Oh, your friend came over early. They can stay for breakfast. Um, the only other sitcom I've ever seen do this, and when it happened, they always treated the person doing it as a burden and an annoyance was um the Kimmy Gibbler character on Full House. Mm. Like that's the only white sitcom, excuse me, that I've ever seen do this. Kimmy was show up at breakfast time, show up at dinner times. Kimmy was always hungry, even though it was never, never hinted at that Kimmy was poor. Just that Kimmy was lonely because she was an only child. So she was always over there. But every time Kimmy came over, they're like, ugh, not Kimmy again. But nobody acted that way around Hakeem. They never made him feel like he was putting them out. I mean, yeah, they make sort of snide comments, um, the Mitchells do, but they, I think it's it's done in that way of like, oh, this, of just like, you know, teasing, which like, I guess it's its own problem within it and of itself, you could argue. But the way it, it's never... But it's but they're never like no Hakeem like you cannot have this food and you must leave. It's always like of course we're going to to feed you. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. But yeah. So the season ends with Hakeem and he gets like a new uh, girlfriend in the form of uh, Reagan Gomez, uh, Reagan Preston Gomez, or is it Reagan Gomez Preston? Oh, uh, Gomez Preston. Yeah. Yes, Reagan Gomez Preston, um, another iconic black girl from the 90s. Um, and uh, they all, and I, I'm a bum, I actually forget what happens. But she she does end the season like as like his official girlfriend or something. Basically, I think Hakeem gets like his, um, his like heart broken or whatever. Yeah, um, like ugh, Kim and... And Moesha try to like break them up, right? Something, something to that um, effect. But yeah, because um, you know, Kim has a crush on Hakeem, and Moesha is missing him, and the fact that he was always around before he started dating this girl. Um, but what I learned from this season, interestingly enough, is that despite how toxic Moesha is, or, or Moesha's father is, she's not without her own flaws. We learn in the second episode how fat phobic she is and how she looks down on her friend Kim. Um, like, and maybe it was on a subconscious level prior, but that shit comes to the surface when Kim makes a cheerleading squad and Moesha doesn't. Um, and we also learn in, um, which episode was this? Uh, episode six, when her father surprises her with a car, how entitled she is. Like it's a it's a Saturn and not a Jeep, and she starts pouting. Like, girl, are you serious? 
Yeah. Yeah, she she like she had her heart set on this Jeep and her dad bought her a Saturn and she cuz he works at a Saturn dealership and she she doesn't want it. Right. Like I I'm not going to I'm not going to waste too much time talking about how dangerous Jeeps are and that no one should be driving them, especially a new driver. Um but yeah, girl, your dad got you a car, a new one at that. Say thank you. Eat your food. Right. I think she, I mean, she ultimately ends up, I don't, she still doesn't get it. She, she ends up getting a used car, right? Yeah. So she can get the one she wanted. And I'm like, I'm all for someone standing their ground and fighting their battles, but this isn't a battle that was worth fighting. (laughs) (laughs) It just wasn't girl. Just just take the car. You know, I felt the same. I, I felt the same way, but like, when I, the further, I guess, like, the more I watched the series, the more I felt like I understood why she didn't take the Saturn. Because it's one more thing that Frank can, like, hold over her head. Right. But, like, when she gets the used car, or, excuse me, I need to figure out how that ended. Wasn't it still Frank's money that got the Jeep? No, she got an after-school job. She okay, gets- okay, okay. I get it. Um, I mean, I honestly thought the whole situation was about the car she wanted. Um, but yeah, you're probably right. It's probably deeper than that. It's for her about her not feeling indebted to Frank as well, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I guess it's like if she had gotten the used Jeep with Frank's money, then it's like, what are you doing, Moesha? But like, sh- the whole thing is, and this is, and she says this when she refuses the Saturn. She says, I'll get a job and I'll just do what I want. And like, I guess I don't see necessarily a problem with that. Like, Mm-hmm. Um. I, it, now, if she was like, "I want this instead. Give me the money to do this instead." I understand that. Like, that's like, girl, pull it together. But um, I, I guess I don't necessarily like. I, I, I guess I see both sides. <laughs> I, <can't, laughs> I understand both sides of the equation. I get it. I get it. So, what are some of your favorite episodes from season one? Season one. Um. Okay. I like the pilot. Um, I like a million boy March. That is the sort of sexism episode. And I, it's particularly, I particularly love that ex- uh, episode because it's, uh, specifically about like sexism in like black communities, which I think is really great, which we don't, cause we don't talk about it a lot. Um, uh, six driving Miss Moesha, eight job, um, 12 Mother's Day. This is like it's Dee's birthday and um Moesha's just having a really hard time because it's all like she's sort of expected to just be happy, but like she's missing her own mother. Um I mean there's this great scene where like Moesha goes to her mom's grave and talks to her. It's it's really poignant, actually. Um 13 Baby Love and uh 14 Hakeem's new flame Mm, for me it would be episode one the pilot episode two friends um episode 316 this is the first of I think two times where D and Moesha are going to have the sex talk episode four Hakeem owes Moesha big this is where we learn just how much poverty Hakeem and his mom are dealing with um, let's see. Episode 11, The Ditch Party. 
and episode 12, Mother's Day. Those are the, the big ones for me. So what do you think of season one? Good, bad, or basic? Um, I like season one. The show's really good. I love it. Um, I like that we're sort of thrust into this family, but that the show doesn't necessarily want to talk down. I think a lot of sitcoms are guilty of that, of trying to like talk down to its viewer. Uh, I love these outfits. These fits are so great. The only thing I don't like is the sort of consistent fat phobia from Moesha and Nisi and Hakeem and all the characters about about Kim's weight, which doesn't make sense to me because she's not that big. And I mean, but and then just fat phobia in general. Even if she was that big, it wouldn't really be an excuse. Right. I think the bigger issue for me is not just a fat phobia, but I feel like almost the internalized misogyny around it on on Moesha and Nisi's part. Um, I mean, it's it's not right when Hakeem does it either, but with Moesha and Nisi, I definitely get the vibe that they keep Kim around because th- she makes them look better by comparison. Right, which is crazy because um, Kim is dressed to the nines just like they are. Like, Kim is, like, Kim's fits are just as good, if not better, than theirs. Right. But those are just clothes. Clothes come on and off. Right. And I think this is the real issue with fat phobia and that type of like toxic friendship that they have for a lot of the series is that Kim is not insecure about her weight, but they keep trying to make her insecure about it. Right. Right. Definitely. I mean, this would honestly be worse if she was. But I think the fact that Kim is confident. And, you know, like you said, she dresses well and she wants to be a cheerleader and she's on the the squad. People kind of give Kim this, like, how dare you attitude? Like, what made you think you were this good? Right. That No, that's true. You're right. That's totally <laughs> it. It's like, why are you so confident? Or, like, why do you like yourself so much? It's like, why shouldn't she? <laughs> like... <laughs> Right. They they want to be happy unless old girl was out here like wearing sweats and eating ice cream and crying over some boy. But that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Fat phobia aside. Well, I won't even say fat phobia aside. It, it becomes a recurring thing for a long time. And I'm sure it graded on Co- Countess Vaughn because right in, in the year 2020, she's she's thick. In 1996, though, that was considered big, and she she's someone who's been very open about the fact that she struggled with her weight all her life. It can't have been easy hearing those type type of remarks, even if it was just on set. I, I right no yeah definitely, but yeah um because that's why I'm giving this this uh, a good minus, and that's honestly off the fat phobia. Stop it, guys. Right, stop it. It's unnecessary. Season two, 24 episodes. Season two will be our longest season overall. 24 episodes. Let's talk about it. Season two. All right, so season two, we kick it off with like um, like a tried and true uh, episode of, I feel like this type of like plot convention happens in a lot of teen shows. But basically... Like, the boys of the school have, there's, like, a list that, like, ranks all the girls. And so it starts circulating at school. So now, like, we've got to, like, confront the people, the boys who um, created the list. I mean, this is, I mean, we've, this is a, yeah, this is your typical teen convention plot. I feel like 
you've seen this plot on like every teen show. Yeah, and I mean it's not it's not a real show. If it's not really set in a there's they're in, are they in middle school or high school if this is not happening? No, they're not. Not in the nineties. Exactly. Not in the nineties. Um now, you know, somebody will put that list on on their Tumblr or whatever. But right. here there's a slam book, and that's what's going to happen. So this season, Shaw Jackson is added to the main cast because she was a supporting character up until then, and Fragile Star joins the cast as, as a supporting character. We meet Q in this first episode where the girls believe that he is the one that started the slam book because all roads point back to him. Um, <laughs> now, what's in the list is actually what's so hilarious to me. Kim is named as having the biggest mouth. She does. <laughs> Nisi is named as having the smallest chest. She doesn't. And Moesha is named as having the biggest booty. Brandy, girl, no one's ever said that to you in your life. <laughs> Stop it. Right. Stop it. Um, it's interesting. Like, it's so interesting to watch, like, these 90s shows because, like, I do remember when that was, like, a thing where, like, every show was, like, oh, no, like, you'll, everybody, everybody will think you're, like, so ugly if, like, your butt's getting big. Like, and that's definitely something from, I think, like, white culture that, like, infected, that was definitely, that was, like, a holdover. Because, I mean, it's so the opposite now. It's just weird to see how much, like, beauty standards have changed. It's interesting because this is actually the only Black sitcom I've ever seen a Black girl have a problem with this. Laura Winslow didn't have a problem with this. None of the women on Living Single had a problem with this. Regina King's character in 227 didn't have a problem with this. Um... Tia and Tamara never discussed it, honestly, so I don't know if they would have or they wouldn't have. But I also think it's worth noting that Brandy has talked about how she, in, in around this time period, struggled with eating disorders. Um, I definitely think that that would be a, a trigger for someone like her. I mean, I look at Moesha's butt, and that's the butt I always wanted. That's the butt that 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 God deprived me of. <laughs> Same. But, like, it's um, very proportional and like cute to her a, body. Girl, I'm like, girl, that was a problem? For who? For whom? <laughs> um, so she feels some type of way about um, being named as having the biggest butt. But, like, that's what the girls are working for now on Instagram, right? You want the small waist and the, the big booty. And you want to be, like, the... What is her body type called now? Slim thick? Yeah, basically. Yeah, whatever that is. Whatever um, that is. Slim thick, athletic. She falls into that that field that's actually never really gone out of style that body type has been in fashion since like the 1960s if we're being very honest right um her 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 body type is definitely like um the what's been held up is like the the ultimate ideal because even um even girls who are like who are i guess now are considered baddies like a like a jordan well god what's the little girl's name jordan uh, Woods. Woods? Yeah. Yes. Woods. Yeah. Even girls who are like baddies, like Jordan Woods, like you want a body like Jordan Woods, but you would prefer like a brandy still, you know? Because Jordan Woods right, is like right. sort of I mean, thick everywhere. Right, right, right. You want that, like, you want that type of shape or, and, you know, and being slender has never been demonized in our society. I, I mean, since the 20s, being slim has been in. <laughs> Right. So uh, maybe she she would have had a big butt in the 1920s. But girl, we're in 1996. Everybody wants that. Are you not watching R&B videos? 
Um, right. <laughs> like, I really, I really didn't understand how this was a problem for her because right before Moesha came on, I'd be watching, you know, um, videos. We lived with my cousin at the time, so they had cable. And I'd be watching videos on BET and all the video girls looked like that and all the R&B songstresses looked like that. Exactly. Like, like, what is the problem? So all roads point back to Q, and that's when we meet Quentin Brooks. He's a new kid at school, and sparks fly immediately between him and Moesha. I want to talk very quickly between the chem- about the chemistry between Brandy Norwood and Fredro Starr. Oh, my God. It's excellent. It's so good. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the casting was impeccable. Now, he has said... And casting directors have said that Brandy wanted him on this show. She had seen his performance in the movie Sunset Boulevard. And I think she really just wanted to work with Fredro Starr. Um, and he was in the rap group Onyx. And all his boys were telling him, don't, don't join that sitcom. This, this is going to be mad corny. It's not going to be a good look for you. But he decided to audition and he got the role and he took that role. And I honestly think it's one of the best things he could have ever done. Because, on, honestly, I know Onyx's, Onyx's music peripherally, but they really weren't in my age demographic. I, I feel like people who are 10 years older than me, plus, really vibe with Onyx like that. Our generation only knows Fredro Starr because he was Q on Moesha. <laughs> I mean, that's how, that's, I mean, you're giving me knowledge because, like, I didn't realize he was part of, like, a group or whatever. Like, my full knowledge of him is Moesha and Save the Last Dance. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. We weren't rocking with Fredro like that as a generation. I mean, Onyx really did put out some bops and bangers, and their music is still being featured on television shows all the time. But our generation didn't care about Onyx like that. Um, we cared about Q. Q and Moesha have a very tumultuous relationship throughout the season um, of this show. But in a lot of ways, it's very relatable. And because of their, the chemistry between them, we can't help but root for Moesha and Q. Especially because her dad won't let them live. Right. Exactly. Like, he, he won't let them live. Um, something else that happens or really early in this season uh, that I do want to just sort of uh, uh, put out there. Um, we are introduced to Frank's brother, played by a uh, black famous at the time, before he was white famous, Bernie Mac. And he's so incredible. <sighs> uncle Bernie, my favorite uncle. We will probably talk about the Bernie Mac show in either our sitcom season or our family's revisited season. He he was in all kinds of black cinema and black TV shows for years and years and years, just giving quality performances every time. And he's so fun on this show, uh, particularly when he starts dating Andel. It's uh, it's so great. It's definitely one of the better, funnier like points. With the introduction of Q, like the show really starts to bring like the drama, and like not that it wasn't bringing the drama before, but like it really, you know, it's bringing, you know, it's bringing that Romeo and Juliet, forbidden love, us against the world type drama and and we see it and we definitely see it in the relationship so q and Moesha start to date it start dating and of course frank is like <laughs> he cannot handle any of it um and we really start to see i think the nastiest parts of frank through this relationship i mean he is on a quest uh to control his daughter's sexuality and like and and dating it in a way that um 
he he was before, but like now it's on like it's on a hundred. Right. I mean, a lot of the stuff from season one could be chalked up to overprotective father, but once Q enters the picture, it's very clear that Frank is handling Moesha, Moesha's body, Moesha's autonomy as a dictatorship, where she has no no say and no voice in it. Um, it's really disheartening. It's really uncomfortable to watch. Um, and as an adult rewatching this, it's very clear to me that the more her father dislikes Q and the more, you know, Q asserts himself and asserts himself and stands up for himself, the more Moesha likes him. Um, in trying to forbid this relationship or put the brakes on this relationship, Frank actually drives them closer together because, like you said, it does become this us-against-the-world driving force. And instead of letting the obstacles within the relationship dissolve it, which is what usually happens in teen relationships, he becomes the obstacle that they team up to fight. And it's wild that Frank has all this sort of panic and messaging around Moesha in general with this relationship because... So far, what we've seen of her from season one and and more so in season two is that she is the most put together, like, person. Um, This is a girl who volunteers at her church, uh, volunteers with the local community, goes to school, has a job, but then also has a job, uh, spends most of her time with her friend, like, any free time that she even has, because, like, all of those things I just said, like, is taking up everything. And any free time that she has, she spends the little of it with her friends, Q, and then also trying to forward her own sort of um, interest in writing. Because we also find out that Moesha is really interested in being a writer and, and being a journalist. So it's like, I don't get... It's not that I... I mean, I get it. Like, he's a misogynist and he's a, a controlling and abusive personality. But... It's like she hasn't really given him anything to warrant this type of panic. I mean, yes and no. Frank is a misogynist and he's a controlling asshole. But the fact of the matter is, despite Moesha being all the things that you said, those girls end up getting pregnant too. Like, I definitely want to discourage the narrative that only a certain type of girl ends up being a teen mom. Because girls like Moesha from good families have everything going for them end up getting pregnant as teenagers too. And the fact of the matter is I think Frank knows something that I knew and every other girl watching the show knew on a subconscious level. If you're a teenager and you have a serious boyfriend and he looks and behaves anything like you, that's definitely who you want to lose your virginity to. <laughs> Oh, and see that, I guess that's like me being like an old, cause like I wasn't really coming from it from a place of like, she's from a good family. Like, she's such a good girl. I was coming at it from a place of like, she's exhausted. Like, isn't she tired? Like, when do you, when you're, when you're working that much, or not, like, are you, do you really have the energy for sex? Like, uh, but right. no. I think, I think, yeah, my, my 35 year old self would be like, nah, I ain't got time. But my 16 year old self, I could make the time. <laughs> like, don't you want to take a nap? Like, we could, we could take, we could, t- we could make the time today. Um, but yeah, Frank, it's very clear that Frank wants to control his daughter's body and her, his daughter's choices, and he knows that if anyone's gonna talk her out of those jars, it's definitely gonna be Q, and he doesn't like it. And a lot of his interactions with Q almost come off as a jealous boyfriend more than a father. 
Mm, yeah, I mean, so all of this comes to a head in an episode where uh, Q goes over to the Mitchells' home for dinner, right? Mm-hmm. So Q goes over to this house for dinner, and it is horrible. I mean, Frank is... So not only... Frank is... I mean, uh, Frank starts the the interaction from, like, a very classist element. Like, he's... So first, he's angry that, like, Q is poor, which he isn't. Q is, like, also middle class. Not that that should matter or matters, but, like, he's he's definitely coming at Q from, like, this extremely, like, respectability politic place. Um, And then, basically, Q, who, by the way, has a very sort of... Q has a very strong sense of himself and what he wants out of life basically matches nothing that um, Frank, you know, the respectable, the respectability politics that Frank espouses. So Q is like, you know, I want to make music. I manage a band. I'm not particularly interested in going to college because I don't really think college is everything anyway. Mm-hmm. Um my father is a business owner. I ought to want to be a small business owner. And I've basically carved out, and I'm working on now, carving out a path that I can reasonably make that happen. Um, and Frank just hates everything about that. Uh, and it's horrible because, like, he was extremely, like, respectful when he goes to the Mitchells' home for dinner. He's very He's very kind. He answers all of Frank's extremely invasive questions. Frank, at one point in this dinner, is even, like, asks Q about Moe's sex life, which is crazy to me. Like, he's he's addressing Q with regards to, like, Moesha's sex life. And Q rightfully, like, leaves. Like, I mean, in, in a show of, like, true... In, in in the most, like, rightful fashion, Q was like, this is, Q, like, says something to the effect of, I came here in good faith. I answered all your really invasive questions. Um, you disrespected me at every turn you had. So now I'm finished. And I'm gonna, and thank you for dinner, but I'm leaving now. And, of course, Frank, like, boils over <laughs> in rage. Right. Um, you know, I have talked about this before, but I think the larger issue between Frank and and Q is that Frank is a controlling person. Like I said, this for me, this is the hallmark of Frank's character, even bigger than his misogyny. He needs people around him that he can control. And, um, and his daughter's boyfriend isn't one of those people. And that makes him feel some type of way because he's barely got control over his kid. Right. She wants her independence. Um, and now you have this very headstrong, very assertive young man who's turning her head and he feels some type of way about that. I mean, the whole conversation was invasive and disrespectful, but I honestly think asking Q about Moesha's sex life was more disrespectful to his daughter than, than it was to Q. She's sitting right there and you're asking Q about her sex life as if he's in her possession now or she's in his possession now. Right. No, exactly. Um, um one of the bigger issues with this dinner too is that he's acting like they're grown. Like he's acting like they're like, he's treating her like a child, but acting like Q is a grown man at the same time. Like he's a kid. He's the same age as Moesha. 
Um, would I approve of my 16 year old daughter bringing home a boy who's in a band and manages a band and wants to be a rapper? Probably not. But since she's 16, I would assume that relationship is going to fizzle out soon. It's not the same as if my 30 year old daughter brought home some, you know, 30 year old guy who was still a SoundCloud rapper. <laughs> like they're children. Let him live. He doesn't need to have concrete plans right now. He has them and you might not approve of them. But even if he had literally no plans, he's 16 years old. And it's weird because it's, like, a normal person, like, if my 16-year-old daughter, he was like, oh, I'm managing a band and I'm doing, I'm like, oh, that's cute. Like, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? <laughs> like, oh, that's that's cute. But I would also be encouraged by, like, the fact that, like, oh, you're, you're a young person and you're, you know, at least you're doing things. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, you're not just sitting in your room playing Xbox all night. That, that makes me happy. <laughs> same i'm just like that's nice that's cute y'all y'all do that cute little stuff that y'all doing continue have fun y'all <laughs> right, um, right right um so um like oh my gosh and this is where um you know the point i was making about the car comes up to it becomes a recurring issue in season two moesha regrets passing on the saturn which we knew she would <laughs> um and frank and d give her a credit card for emergencies of course, he's able to hold this over her head, right? Especially when she uses this um, credit card to bail Q out of jail. Right. Oh, yeah. And that's... Uh, and he goes to jail for, like... It's no fault of his own, by the way. Like, it's... I think right. it's... um, He's just, like, profiled, and they pick him up. Right. And... But again... They profiled him just like Frank profiled him, right? Because that's essentially what, what Frank did. Frank heard he was a rapper. Frank looked at his clothes and Frank immediately did not approve. Um, so Frank doesn't want to hear that about how it was not Q's fault. He's making it Q's fault. And this is in, this is in what, the second episode? So he uses this as, as, as a, a way to legitimize his hatred of Q throughout the series. Oh yeah. And then, um, and then Frank does, and then, so, so then after all this happens, Frank does something that really underscores this idea that we're talking about, um, uh, where Frank is not interested. Frank is not afraid of Q. He's just interested in controlling Moesha because he, there's an episode where, Frank tells because he because Frank puts Moesha on punishment. He he grounds her, and then F Frank says that Moesha can get off punishment and she can not be grounded anymore if she agrees to go out on a date with um one of his colleagues' sons. Mm hmm. Uh, and I think... Yeah, she goes to the formal with this kid, I believe? Yeah. Which is psychotic. I just, that's, that's it. That's all I, it's, it's psychotic. That's all I have to say. Um, I mean, when I first saw this episode as a kid, mind you, I thought, oh, wow, okay, she's getting the easy way out. Go to the, the go to the formal with this kid and then go on with your life. But 
I think the reaction that Q had to this was the exact reaction Frank knew he would. Oh yeah. And then, and then Frank manipulates this because then when they go, Frank manipulates the situation and he makes it seem, and this is like what really, um, makes it like even more crazy. Like Frank manipulates, uh, and sociopathic Frank makes it uh, seem when Q comes to to the Mitchell's house to advocate for Moesha, uh, Frank makes it seem that Moesha went on this date of her own volition and not that she was like presented with, and he doesn't make it clear the, the, the options of what she was presented with, therefore yeah. completely fracturing their relationship. Yeah, like... It, honestly, he more than implied. He he stopped short of downright saying that, right? Right. Frank is straight up grimy, you guys. He's so grimy. Like, when he does that, I'm like, wow. Like, he's a sociopath. Like, this is what, like, sociopaths do. Like, right. I, there's no but, other word. Like, if he couldn't make his daughter stop wanting Q, then he could make Q stop wanting his daughter. Um, but again, either way, this isn't about Mo dating. It's specifically about him being able to control who she decides to date and how their relationship functions. Right. So, um, so, so things come and then, so then, so then the final, I guess, nail, like big head and the like final nail in the coffin, everything comes to a head when basically, um, Moesha and Q, Moesha and Q are like on some, like, you know, they're like doing, they're all like little teen loved up stuff with each other. And, um, Q comes up to her bedroom for, I don't remember, for a reason. Um, probably, it wasn't, it's not that they're not about to have sex. Like, I think he tries to, and she's like, nah, like, I'm cool. But regard, but they are like making out on her bed, and so Frank and D catch them, and that's like when Frank goes absolutely nuclear, and it and and the season ends with um, Frank sentencing Moesha to this private school. She's like not even allowed to go to Crenshaw anymore, on um, and not because anything happened, but the idea that something might happen. <laughs> Right, right, right. Um, yeah, our, in our last episode is when she goes on this blind date with this guy to his prom. And then Q finds out and they break up. But she'd already been sentenced to to this to this private school, right? That happens the episode before, episode 23. So he was willing to take her off punishment if she went on this date. But she's still going to the boarding school <laughs> regardless. Right. Because um, um, he's a controlling asshole. Right. Some other things I want to bring up that happened in this season, some really great stuff. Um, Kim gets like a true blue love interest named that's uh, my, named Michael and he's Q's cousin. And they are like the absolute like sweetest together. We love it. We love to see sis win. Like <laughs> loved it. They are like, I did not know like it could be this cute. Like it really is on the rewatch. I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. This actually sets a really great theme, too, because I know later on in the Parkers, Kim is Kim always has a man. She always has a date. She always has a boyfriend. She always has several guys she's dating. And I like that shift to making the character someone who is viewed as desirable because she is. 
this the the way she would you know follow Hakeem around like a lost puppy really didn't do her character any favors when everybody on around her is fat phobic. Kim also wears like these really mint these like mint green boots um this season. If y'all know where I can find those, please send that my way. Thank you very much. That's it. I'm just putting that out there. Please and thank you. Um so what are your favorite episodes of season two? Uh season two, there's so much. Oh gosh. Season two is like a tour de force. Um I like uh credit card, five, the whistleblower. Uh Six, Labels. Labels is a really important episode. Labels is, like, I think the first episode that, like, tries to deal with, like, homophobia in Black spaces. Um, It does a terrible job of it, but uh, at least it addresses it. Um, Hakeem's cousin is gay. Um, Mm -hmm. It's sort of... And, like, he doesn't want to... And basically he doesn't want to come out. Um, But it is... It's a good. It is interesting to sort of look at it in in a retrospect. A, con- a concerted effort, part one, and ten. A concerted effort, part two. The only thing that sucks about these episodes being on Netflix is that they've had to cut a lot of um, these sort of epic concert footages from the show uh, that originally aired when it was on UPN due to like, you know, copyright reasons. But, I hate bureaucracy. but like um yeah but i mean when these actually aired these were like epic one of the great things about moesha is because brandy's brandy like the most epic musical guest stars ended up being on this show um uh 13 road trip 14 guest cues coming to dinner that's the episode that we talked about where everything happens that is banana nuts um 18, Back in Africa. This is, Back in Africa is a really interesting episode because it deals with um, the sort of class issues between Hakeem and Moesha and the Mitchells that have sort of been bubbling under the surface. Mm -hmm. Basically, Hakeem doesn't have enough money to go on this trip, this school trip to Africa. And so Mo mobilizes and raises the money for him to go thinking that her trip is already paid for, but we later find out that Frank has taken that money to pay for that trip to um, buy the Saturn dealership. And he does it, by the way, without Dee's knowledge. And Dee just sort of (laughs) takes it, which is crazy to me. Why do you need a woman's opinion? He's Frank Mitchell. (laughs) Um, And then Mo in turn, and then they, um, and then the rest of her friends basically go into overdrive to raise money so that she can go as well. And then Moesha has like a bad reaction to it. Like, and it's interesting to sort of observe. Stop Um, treating me like a poor, you guys. But you are though. (laughs) Like, um, Nah, she's just temporarily inconvenienced. That's all. Um, No, but I, oh man, Moesha. Don't you miss how in the 90s, everybody just went to Africa? Not a specific country, just the whole continent. Right, just the the whole continent. I guess they did like, uh, who knows? Who knows? Um, shout out to Belly. <laughs> shout out to Belly. <laughs> 21, Hakeem's birthday, which is, uh, we see like Hakeem's deadbeat dad. 23, cold busted. Uh, and then 24, prom fight. Prom fright. 
my favorites would have to be number one, the list. Um, number two, credit card. Episode five, which guest stars Kobe Bryant, the whistleblower. Episode six, labels is a great one, like you said. Episode twelve, there's no place like the Mitchell home. I always love the episodes with Andel. I think she's a great comic relief. I'm really glad that they they use this character in the Parkers as well. Number thirteen, road trip. Number fifteen, mentor. Um, number eighteen, back in Africa. Ooh, episode twenty, songs in the key of strife. Oh, I love that a uh, reference to that Stevie Wonder album, by the way. <laughs> Um, but that was this was a great season. I'm gonna give this season a solid good, good plus even. What about you? Oh gosh, season two. Um you know, season two, I'm giving, I'm still giving it a good, even though something that bugs me, um, that I guess they'll fix in season three somewhat by the end of season three, is that like they're all of Frank's behavior this season, they sort of treat they sort of treat as like normal or like okay, which is psycho. But um, I'm still giving it a good uh, because I love that they give Kim her own love interest. I'm also giving it points because apparently by this time, Brandy and Countess Vaughn like hate each other and cannot even be in the same room as each other. But they are out here working and I wouldn't I would have never known had someone not brought it up to me <laughs> like so yeah. shout out to professionalism um I mean, I'm not gonna take sides but I honestly wonder how much of that on-screen fat phobia translated off-screen because yeah I would have hated you too girl um <laughs> um I'm just I mean, being honest same I'm not taking sides I'm just I'm always I, I respect the the ability to rise above for your check. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, check, make sure it clears, baby. And I like, I love all this drama with Keo. I do. I really like it. I You don't see it still a lot with Black girls, I think, in particular. Um, so I'm I'm pleased by it. So yeah, I'm still giving it a good. Yeah, I think it does, it's worthy of that good. The the issue with Frank's or Frank's behavior, it doesn't even bother me so much that Frank is a is a trash father. It bothers me that the writers always portray his behavior as if he's in the right. Give me yes. the sort of father on TV. I'm fine with it because, unfortunately, this is normalized behavior in our culture at large, right? It's the fact that we won't even use this as an opportunity to check him. Or to say to the audience, you know what, this is kind of messed up. That's what bothers me. Same. That's and that's what I was trying to get at, I guess. I don't that it really bugs me that the show is has taken this position that all of Frank's behavior uh, up until this point is his is justified or normal or okay in any sort of way. And the only time that the show will even sort of kind of push back on this idea will be um I think in this season in, in season three I think the season three finale and even then it doesn't it doesn't take the hard position that Frank is wrong it just sort of the the messaging is sort of like oh well like they both made some mistakes and not like Frank has absolutely driven her to this um and I'm referencing the big sort of like Moesha moving out of the home um, because she can't take it anymore, I think, which happens this season. 
season two? No. No, season three, which we're about okay, to talk yeah, about. Okay, let's, yeah, let's, let's jump into season three. Season yeah. three is 23 episodes long, and this season basically takes place with Moesha at a new school. She is sent to Bridgewood Academy, the private school, um, because Frank thinks that the less time she spends with Q, the 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 easier it'll be to end their relationship. Um, they already broke up at the end of last season because of his um, scheming and dealing, right? Um, and she's at a new school now, and he thinks that's going to be the end of it. Right. And not only that, he falls into this trap that I think a lot of, you know, people of his thinking, Black people of his thinking fall into of like, oh, she's going to go to this new private school, uh, Bridgewood, which is predominantly white. It's a predominantly white private school with rich moneyed kids and somehow this environment will be safer when you and I both know the truth is that those wi- those white kids are are crazier and wilder than like right. <laughs> black kids will ever be right right um because white kids private school equal drugs drugs good so drugs. Many drugs a lot of drugs all the drugs sweetie maybe they not do whatever you can get everything else like right. the, all the all the expensive drugs and all the designer drugs that's where you get that at that's where um, you get that at but you know frank made two really bad assumptions he assumed that any black man or any black boy that moesha did, uh, met at the school would be caliber which is another false assumption because we know how black boys are treated as gods in predominantly white schools and they're often on much worse behavior than black boys who attend public schools. Um, and number two, he assumed she would bring home a black boy. He never thought that in the sea of white faces, she might be get into an interracial relationship. Right. Um, and then, and furthermore, like, I mean, so when, and so this the season kicks off with um with basically uh this like Mo Moisha going to this new school. I cannot stress this enough. Bridgewood is such a violent place. Like it is horrible. And like watching Moisha having to go to the school, I don't and knowing that Frank sent her there, like, I don't know that I could have hated a character more. Moisha gets to Bridgewood and is immediately like slapped in the face with like these, I I don't even want to say microaggressions. It's just aggression. It's just racial aggression. Just just racism. Um, right. they treat her like we're talking about Moesha, who was like a straight A student. Not only was she at Crenshaw as a straight A student, um, and taking AP classes, and then on her own continued her her education. I mean, they treat her like she's dumb, like. They're so surprised that she does the work or knows how to do the work. They berate, like, these teachers and the students berate her racially to her face. Um, To her face. To her face. There is, like, there's this horrible, like, light-skinned girl who was like, oh, your braids are so get, like, calls Moesha's impeccably done. Impeccably. I mean impeccably done micro braids and braids in general she tells her that like oh your braids are so ghetto like i i can't like <laughs> it's it's right, and violent she didn't get a chance to, like uppercut kaylee for that comment but whatever um the the what, what's bad about it is that her father is like minimizing this 
um, because he thinks that she just wants to go back to her old school. So he's literally minimizing and dismissing how miserable she is. Right. And he's like, oh, and he's just chalking it up to, oh, well, you're just in a new place and not realizing like, no, like these people are racist. (laughs) Like she like, like you, you can't learn or be yourself under these conditions. Like you, who, who could, you know? Right. But, you know, well, the learning part, yes, I'm sure that's a huge play that he didn't think of. But the be yourself, I'm sure that entered Frank's mind. I'm sure he sent her to this private white school instead of another public black public school, which I'm sure there are many of, because he doesn't want her to be herself. This move was a move to control her and break her spirit. And we know that. Yeah, I think he... I mean, we're talking about it, like, breaking her spirit, whereas I, I'm i sure in his mind, it's, like, it's finishing school for her, or it's a way to to be the person that he wants her to be. I, I don't know. Right. Like, he, he, he doesn't see it as breaking her. He sees her as getting her on the right path, or whatever the fuck parents like him tell themselves. Right. Like, this is going to put her on a right path. She's fallen in with the wrong crowd, blah, blah, blah. This is going to make her a better person, right? Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Um, Frank is just not a good father, you guys. And Frank's hypocrisy literally leaps out, leaps out in an episode that I'm particularly fond of, AJ Nothing But a Number, episode four, where Hakeem starts dating an older woman. And um, but we should indeed don't approve, but... Frank doesn't think there's anything wrong with it. Yes. In fact, he goes on some dumb tirade about how, like, he was once in a thing. And I'm like, oh, the world. I'm not saying Moesha should have killed Frank. But, like, if Frank got into, like, a unfortunate, you know, Saturn accident, like, <laughs> I don't know that it would be the worst of things to happen. <laughs> Girl, listen, I'm going to say it if you won't say it. Frank, someone should have cut the brakes on Frank Saturn. Um, But yeah, if he's full of shit. And I'm watching this episode, I'm like, sir, this isn't an opportunity for, this is not an opportunity for you to romanticize the fact that you were groomed and preyed upon by an older woman. This is not about you. This is about Hakeem. Not your need to relive your presumed glory days with, you know, your ex-predator. Um, because we know, we know with certainty that Frank can't even handle Moesha dating guys her own age. If she brought an older man home, it would have been World War Three in that house. And, and you know what, I, same, but then I also just fault the show because even by the end of the episode, it's treated like, it's ultimately tr- when they, when Hakeem and this older woman uh, part ways, it's treated as if like it's some sort of you know tragic love affair cut short by people who just don't understand rather than what it actually is which is a predatory relationship like it is like we talk about I know we talk about predators and and grooming and and abuse but this is this is it that's this is actually what that is it's it's predatory abusive and grooming Shout out to uh, Pacey and Miss Jacobs. Anyway, um, y'all really need to stop writing this. This writing yeah. is not. This writing is not just irresponsible. It's dangerous. It's 
I yeah, and to to speak furthermore on that, like this is like this type of plot where like some older predatory woman is is taking advantage of of a young man. I mean, it is consistent and it is across it's in sitcoms, it's in black sitcoms, it's in white sitcoms, it's in white teen dramas, it's in uh it's it's a cross cultural problem and it needs to to stop. It it is. It is a, it's a very dangerous narrative that we've now like embedded in like a a larger cultural mindset that absolutely needs to be uprooted and the first show that ever takes on like the idea of like really deconstructing that or like taking that position I will like really stand up and applaud because when you really think about how pervasive this story is in all the types of media you've seen it's it's really gross that's all, that's all I've got yeah, I really need writers to analyze why they think normalizing and romanticizing the abuse of young boys um, is should be a should be a plot point. Um, but to, for your question about where we're gonna see this critiqued openly, only one show has ever done this. Ironically enough, it's the U.S. version of Shameless. Mm. Right, and even what I remember of of that, because I I remember the episode you're talking about. It's even it's even still it's done in like a really goofy way. It's not really given I think that same levity um that's that same like seriousness. But I mean, at least there's one right. Um, it's like literally one in a C, a C, a C. I'm tired. I'm really tired. So okay, so something uh, that happens. Um, this season, which will be really great, um, is that Kim finally gets her revenge on these hoes. Stunting. Stunting. Love to see it. Halloween um, part one, Kim's revenge. Uh, Spoiler alert, there's no Halloween part two. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Episode nine, let's talk about it. uh, What a good episode. So Kim... So the the fat phobia basically on the show is finally addressed, like in a real concrete way. So the episode is like they're planning, um, the girls are planning, are planning their costumes for this Halloween party that's happening at the den. And they've all decided to go as like the queens of soul with um I think Nisi is Patty LaBelle. Uh Moesha's Diana Ross and uh, Kim is supposed to be someone else. It's not like a... Hmm? Was it Aretha? No, it's somebody else. Um, Gladys? I think so. so. Uh, That sounds correct. Um, So they all... So they're on like... In advance. Hmm? I said I'm sorry in advance, Divas, if we're wrong. Yeah, sorry in advance. But, um... But, like, so they're doing that classic, like, Mean Girls three-way call. This is so 90s, by the way, because, like, this isn't even a thing anymore. <laughs> like, because now they would just, like, text each other. But um, but they're doing the classic, like, c- like phone call, like, three-way call. And they all talk about it. They agree on this idea. And then Moesha and Nisi stay on the phone, and they think that Kim has hung up, but she has not hung up. She is still on the call. Um, it's just that they can't hear her. 
So during this three-way call, they, they make these terrible jokes and Kim hears all of it. So on the night of the, of the costume party at the den, which is also like a costume competition, they win like a prize or something. Kim doesn't come as, uh, Kim shows up with Michael, her boyfriend, and Kim is not in the costume that they had all agreed on. Kim has come as like a, like a, like a devil, like, like a slutty devil, basically, <laughs> for lack she of a better good, term. Though. Um, for lack of a better term, uh, she comes as like like a sexy slutty devil thing, um, and so they notice and they're like, "Why did you? Why did you not do the costume that we all agreed upon?" And Kim's not even hearing it. Like Kim's not even talking to them, and it's Michael. Which I actually love this aspect of it. This of this episode, it's Michael that goes to Nisi and Moesha, and he's like, "Well." maybe you should think about how you treat the people that you call your friends and don't like clown my girlfriend's weight. Like he, he actually intervenes and like steps up. He enter Michael advocates and intervenes and uh, stands up for Kim. And I love it. Cause it's so it's done in a way that's very loving that we never ever see for like fat black girls, like ever. Yeah, I've seen it for between Michael and Kim, and I've seen it between Papa and Maisha on the shy. Two times that the, the the fat black girl gets to have a loving, respectful, communicative partner that will stand up for her and protect her, um, and defend her honor. Two times. This whole episode, I mean, like I said, we saw the glimpse of this in the first season, episode two. Moisha has a lot of fat phobia, and. And so, so does Nisi, and so do Hakim. And this season, it becomes even more glaringly obvious that they think Kim is beneath them physically, and they keep her around to look better by comparison. Yo, like, literally the epitome of fake-ass friends. I'm so glad Kim got herself some decent friends when she went off to college. Yeah, same, same. And it's and it's ridiculous. Like, it's, it's so ugly because they, they just... Basically, everything that Kim has, they just don't believe she should have off of nothing based off of her fatness. Like, not because she's a bad friend, because Kim is a very good friend. Not because she's a mean person, because she's not a mean person. Not because it is all based on this one issue. And it is, it's, 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 it's ugly. I hate it. I hate to see it. Right. Like, how dare you have style? How dare you make the cheerleading squad? How dare you have a handsome boyfriend? You know, how dare you have any confidence? Like, how dare you? Um, Because the fact of the matter is her life has always been significantly less dramatic than their lives. Um, I'm not sure if I discussed it. I probably didn't. Season um, two, episode 22, Nisi's ass got engaged. Girl, what? Let's just quickly talk about the season three ending because it is, like, intense. So, basically, um, and it has to do with Usher's guest guest appearance, too. So, Usher plays Jeremy this season. Jeremy becomes a love interest for Mo, um, and they start hanging out. And so, like we said, the, wild, the white children are much wilder uh, than uh, the black kids, and that we see that in this sort of slumber party that is thrown by one of the white girls at Moesha's new school. 
and it's like a, but it's like a co-ed slumber party. And uh, that's there's... orgy for anyone listening. <laughs> and they're staying there all, they're all staying there together all night. Um, and so uh, at this co-ed slumber party, uh, Moesha uh, goes upstairs with Jeremy and they, they, they don't even go into a room. They're really, they're just sitting at the top of these stairs uh, and they're talking to each other um, about what went wrong in their relationship or something. And so then Frank goes to, Frank goes to this co-ed slumber party to get Moesha once he finds out that it's a co-ed slumber party and he is angered and incensed. And when he gets there, he sees Moesha and Jeremy walking down the steps from the top of the steps, holding hands. And Jeremy's shirt is like half open, but that's just like, cause it's like a style choice, not cause anything's happened. Um, I just want to interject really briefly that around the same time Usher was guest starring as a character named Raymond on the young and the restless. And he also had his shirt half open at all times. Maybe it was like written into his contract. <laughs> I don't know, girl. I don't know. <laughs> it was like must have shirt open at all times. Um, and uh, Jeremy and Moesha are coming down the steps and they're holding hands. And so Frank thinks that they've just had sex. And Moesha says, I haven't. She's like, no, like we were just talking. And he goes, I don't. And he basically is like, you're a liar and I don't believe you. And so it's a big fight. Um, and and basically this 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 whole scene with him, him not believing her, her sort of having to once again defend herself for something that she really shouldn't be having to defend herself for is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And... Moesha decides to move out of the house. She's like, I, I can't do this anymore. The constant control, the constant disrespect, the constant disbelief in my integrity as a person when I haven't given you anything to question um, ever, really, it, I'm, I'm finished. She's like, I can't live like this. And she, she moves out and she goes to Andel's. And it's significant because it's the first time that the show itself has acknowledged that Frank, that maybe Frank's behavior is like not it. Right. Um, that he, that he might be in the wrong. Um, it is significant, but for me, that's not why it was significant. Watching this as a child, the reason it was, it was significant for was because Black girls, Black children in general, were never put in a position where, oh, my parent did such and such, so I'm moving out. White kids moved out. White kids ran away from home. A Black kid just stays put no matter how fucked up your situation is. Mm. That's, that's real. So the fact that she moved out, I was like, oh, but he's not even beating her. Like, oh, like... You know, they, they it's they have a good life. It's hard out here in these streets. These were the things I was thinking at the like ripe old age of how old was I? Twelve. <laughs> <laughs> like it's real in these streets, but like we never showcase a black 
a black child, especially a black girl, taking the autonomy and being like, I'm done. I don't have to live under your roof, actually. Since you say I have to do X, Y, Z as long as I live under your roof, I actually don't have to live under your roof. Deuces. I'll be seeing you. Right, right, right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And it's, listen, it's long overdue. When it when it happens, um, particularly on the rewatch, I was like, oh, my gosh, thank God. Like... <laughs> I actually, I was so. (laughs) um, Frank consistently tried my nerves. Consistently. Consistently. And for no, just for no reason. Like, honestly, it got to the point where I felt like this dude got off on, on diminishing his own daughter. Same. I mean, it felt like that. It really does feel like that. That's, that's the vibes, fam. That's the vibes I was getting. Um. So do you have favorite episodes of season three? Yeah, uh, I do. I have a lot. Okay, so... Because there was so much in season three that felt so great. Um, so, Grandpapa Don't Take No Mess. That's where uh, Frank's father shows up. Um, and we sort of... Under, we get more of an understanding between the relationship between Bernie and Frank and their father and their parents... Um, four, AJ ain't nothing but a number. Six, the play scene. Nine, Halloween part one, Kim's Revenge. Uh, Rhythm and Dues. We, uh, Morris Day shows up to like, oh my gosh, so incredible. He just, he shows up. It's great. And the whole episode's basically about him. It's awesome. Eleven, Break It Down. Episode 13, Talk of the Town. Okay, so this is a really, really great episode about gentrification and uh racial profiling and the sort of uh teenhood and coming of age that's taken away from black kids essentially and Mm -hmm. sometimes by their own people um it also i also really love it because there's like uh it talks about like it sort of shines a light on like even like asian representation like in la and like how they sort of interact with uh black communities as well it's really good 16, it's my paper and I'll cry if I want to. 18, model employee. 21, body language. 22, pajama jam. And then 23, a house is not a home. All right, all right. My favorites would have to be uh, number one, Labor Day Jammy, because Drew Hill guest started on that episode. <laughs> um, number four, AJ, nothing but a number. Uh, number five, my mom's not an ottoman. Oh, number that's seven, such a good episode. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yes. Number seven, use me once, shame on you. Use me twice, I'll kill you. Number eight, keeping it real. This is where we first meet Jeremy. Eighteen, model employee. Um, number nineteen, most money, most money, most money. Twenty-two, pajama party. Twenty-three was a bit too tense for me. My blood pressure was up. Sorry. Listen, oh my God, there's a there's a line where like when she shows up at Endel's house, Endel is like, oh, but like your father really cares about you. And Moish is like, control is not caring. And I was like, yes, Mo. Yes. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Um, season three was the last season where Fragile Star was part of the main cast. He's he becomes a guest character from season four onward. Um, so it was kind of like the fact that um, this was like his last hurrah also made this season kind of great for me. 
that and uh, Kim's Revenge made the season good for me, like a solid good. Because mm-hmm. this 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 was long overdue to be addressed. Um, so was Moesha, you know, leaving and standing up to her father in the only really significant way that she could. Right. I mean, there's even it's interesting. There's even a part where like when Andel says that like Moesha has to go home, Moesha sleeps at the den and starts couch surfing. And then when Andel catches Moesha sleeping at the den, it's interesting. And this is why, like, I won't, I think I'm going to give this this season, like, a good minus. It's interesting to me, Andel, who is sort of this neutral voice in what's happening, you know, and Andel says essentially what you said in that she's like, oh, like, your father doesn't beat you. But, like, no one's really addressing the fact that this girl would rather couch surf and sleep the streets and sleep in like a commercial business rather than go home. Right. This is what we have to think about at the end of the day. How miserable does a person have to be to leave what we as outsiders deem to be a comfortable home? Right. There's only so much that you can push somebody and teen rebellion is one thing but like you said, being essentially homeless and literally couch surfing is not rebellion. Re- the, one of the key hallmarks of teen rebellion is to make your parent or guardian inconvenienced, not to convenience yourself long term, not to inconvenience yourself long term. So, yeah, um, in conclusion, Frank is a terrible parent and he keeps becoming more terrible as his child gets older. It never lets up. <laughs> His terribleness, like, never stops. Right. You would think as she grows older and proves that she is mature and level-headed and resourceful, he would let up some of that control. But no, he only tightens that noose. Um, um, yeah. We hate it. We hate it. We hate it. We hate it. But this season, Moesha and Q also broke up for what would be the second to last time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what's your grade on this this season three? Good, bad, or basic? I'm going to give it a good. Same. I'm going to give it a good. But these first three seasons are significant. And watching these first three seasons, I really get why this show continues to be like a mainstay in the minds of so many people. Not only because the outfits are killer. I, by the way, like, I... Man, can these girls dress. Like, and I'm like an each and every single one of them, too. Moesha, Kim, Nisi, oh, the fits. Fits and fits for days. Um, we love it, we love it, we love it. I, uh, I really want to really thank shows like Sister, Sister and Moesha and later Clueless, the TV series, because outfits were fire. Outfits were so fire. Um, so not only for, I think, visually, but also just for as much as, um, particularly Moesha, it, I'm, it, become, it becomes a staple because... The, the, with these first three seasons in general, because the because of I all the subject matter they're approaching. Um, even this episode, we didn't even we didn't get to even like a quarter of my notes. Um, there's so even though it's a sitcom and there are like jokes and funny elements, there's a lot of real dramatic elements in this show. Um, something I was thinking about a bit um, that I want to sort of talk now is that I don't think black sitcoms 
get enough credit for um, pioneering the modern dramedy. Yes and yes. Because something that, like, is really becoming clear to me as, you know, we're going through all of these is that, you know, you know, because Black people, Black shows are are sort of put in comedies and, like, Black creators were never allowed to do dramas, all these dramatic elements and all these, like, all the all this all the sort of elements of a modern drama they've put into these these comedic shows and um i definitely think when we t- think more about dramedies and like the idea of a dramedy and how cuz dramedy is as a genre is still very new we absolutely have to incorporate and talk more about these black sitcoms because like they're they we're out here doing it very well um, and I and you can really see the sort of early stages of of this of this genre being born in black sitcoms. And Moesha is definitely a part of that conversation. Hard agree, agree with all of that. Um, so thank you, like I said, shout out to all the black sitcoms. You did what you had to do. We appreciate your efforts. But yeah, um, overall, I would say the first half of Moesha was was good it was um i don't think every aspect of it was well written fat phobia frank but i do think that it was written with some measure of thoughtfulness to our lead and i appreciate that And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the first half of Moesha good, bad, basic, and so relatable. If you'd like to check out this charming series, Moesha is currently streaming on Netflix. Please let us know your thoughts on this series via our Twitter or Instagram. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. Tune in next week when we'll be continuing this discussion on Moesha by covering the back half of the series in part two. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good, Bad, Basic on Twitter and at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic, where all of our episodes hit first. If you love this sort of content and you want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. Join the family at patreon.com forward slash good, bad, basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time. Bye, everyone.